Welcome to a history of the Space Race Podcast, episode 45, Gemini 10, Double Rendezvous. On July 18, 1966, NASA launched the Gemini 10 mission with astronauts John Young and Mike Collins. The two preceding Gemini missions had been a bit of a letdown to NASA. Gemini 8 had achieved the first docking in history, but the mission ended prematurely less than 11 hours later when Gemini 8's thruster was stuck open. Gemini 9 failed to dock when the shroud around the augmented docking target adapter failed to release. The spacewalk during Gemini 9 was also considered a failure when Eugene Cernan had to return to the spacecraft before testing the astronaut maneuvering unit. With only three Gemini missions left in the program, NASA was looking for a success. And the Gemini 10 mission delivered. Gemini 10 will perform the first true double rendezvous with two separate spacecraft. Gemini 10 will also see the first mission with multiple extravehicular activities performed. And Gemini 10 will set a new record for highest altitude flown in a manned mission. The commander of Gemini 10 was John Young. Young had previously flown on Gemini 3, the first manned Gemini mission. He was the one who smuggled that Wolfie's corned beef sandwich on board. His co-pilot, Mike Collins, would be going to space for the first time. Collins had been recruited in 1963 as part of NASA's third group of astronauts. He had applied to be in the second group, but to his great disappointment, he did not make the cut. After joining the Astronaut Corps, he selected extravehicular activities as his specialization, a fact that will become relevant for the Gemini 10 mission. And as a little spoiler, Collins will be one of the three astronauts chosen for Apollo 11 in the future. Collins will be the one who stays inside the command module in lunar orbit. Young and Collins had been tasked with several complex mission objectives for Gemini 10. First, they were to perform the first double rendezvous. They would first rendezvous with an Agena target vehicle launched specifically for the Gemini 10 mission, which I'll call the Agena 10 for clarity. After rendezvousing with Agena 10, they will practice docking procedures by repeatedly undocking and redocking with Agena 10. Thereafter, they would use the Agena 10 to maneuver themselves into a higher orbit to perform the second rendezvous with the Agena left in orbit by the Gemini 8 mission, which I'll call the Agena 8. 
After the rendezvous with Agena 8, they were to accomplish the second major task of a complex spacewalk. Collins was to exit Gemini 10 and make his way over to Agena 8 to retrieve a micrometeorite impact experiment. To lessen the complexity of the mission, Collins was not to use an astronaut maneuvering unit, as had been attempted during the Gemini 9 mission. Collins would simply be given a zip gun for maneuvering in space, since that had seemed to work well during the Gemini 4 mission. On July 18, 1966, the Gemini 10 mission began with the launch of the Agena 10 as a prelude. An Atlas rocket successfully placed Agena 10 into orbit. Launch operations then held the launch of Gemini 10 until they were in a position to place Gemini 10 in an ideal orbit for rendezvous with Agena 10. A little over an hour and a half after launch of the Agena 10, that window arrived. The Titan II rocket beneath Gemini 10 roared to life and took Young and Collins into orbit. Once in orbit, the astronauts calculated the maneuvers to achieve rendezvous with Agena 10. At first, Young tried to do this manually by taking calculations using a sextant. He couldn't get the stars to line up with what he had learned during training, though, so instead they relied on computers and mission control to provide the calculations. Young then began firing Gemini 10's maneuvering thrusters to achieve a similar orbit as Agena 10. He did not realize, however, that Gemini 10's attitude had shifted slightly prior to firing the thrusters. As a result, they thrusted ever so slightly in the wrong direction. Two mid-course corrections were needed to address the error. After about six hours, they rendezvoused with Agena 10. The early error in the maneuvering had a significant impact. Gemini 10 had used up 60% of its fuel to achieve the first of its planned rendezvous. The amount of fuel used was three times more than had been needed for previous rendezvous attempts. Mission Control in Houston now had to run calculations to determine whether other mission objectives could be achieved. One immediate impact of the excessive use of fuel was the cancellation of docking practice. After Young docked with Agena 10, which was only the second docking ever in space, Mission Control told Young to remain docked. They would no longer be undocking and redocking for practice. The astronauts became worried that Mission Control might even cancel the second rendezvous planned with Agena 8. That fear disappeared when Mission Control gave the instructions for maneuvers to reach Agena 8. The rendezvous with Agena 8 began with another first for the Gemini program. For the first time, 
the Agena rocket's main engine would be fired while docked with a Gemini spacecraft. John Young fired the Agena 10 engine for about 80 seconds to bring the Agena and Gemini 10 vehicle combination into high orbit. When the engine fired, Young and Collins were pressed forward into their harness by the force of negative 1G, and they could also feel their eyeballs coming out of their sockets. They were pressed forward into their harness rather than backward into their seats because they were flying backwards. The Agena and Gemini dock nose to nose. So when the Agena's main engine fired, Young and Collins were flying backwards. Unfortunately for Young and Collins, because they were flying backwards, they couldn't see much when the engine fired. The Agena blocked most of the view from Gemini 10's portholes. The initial firing of the Agena main engine raised the spacecraft's apogee, the highest point in their orbit, to about 760 kilometers. This made Young and Collins the humans who had traveled the furthest from Earth to date. From this altitude, Gemini 10 began gathering data on radiation exposure to the astronauts at higher altitudes. In order to rendezvous with Agena 8, Young fired the Agena 10 main engine two more times to circularize the orbit of Agena Gemini 10 and then to reduce their total orbital altitude to just below that of Agena 8's. This way, they would catch up to Agena 8 and achieve rendezvous from below when they fired the engines again to match Agena 8's orbit. While catching up with Agena 8, the astronauts performed an extravehicular activity. Collins would perform a stand-up EVA. This meant that Collins wouldn't actually exit Gemini 10. Instead, he'd just stand up on his seat with the door open. The assignment was to take some photographs for an experiment. The experiment ended early when Collins and Young's eyes began watering. They thought perhaps the anti-fog spray used on their faceplate was causing this. The astronauts had been instructed to use this anti-fog spray after Cernan was barely able to see during his EVA in Gemini 9. As it turns out, the irritant had come from their suit fans and not the anti-fog spray. After the EVA ended, Collins and Young rested. The following day, the mission was to rendezvous with Agena 8. Young undocked Gemini 10 from Agena 10. Then, with a couple of maneuvers, Gemini 10 began to change its orbit to meet up with Agena 8. The journey from Agena 10 to Agena 8 took several hours, as they were still hundreds of kilometers apart. When they were about 30 kilometers away, 
Collins and Young made visual contact with Agena 8. Shortly thereafter, Gemini 10 achieved the first double rendezvous by meeting up with a second spacecraft in orbit. The next major mission objective was for Collins to perform a second EVA. This time, he was to get out of Gemini 10, float over to Agena 8, retrieve a micrometeorite experiment from Agena 8, and then return to Gemini 10. Gemini 10 and Agena 8 did not dock during this EVA. Instead, Young remained inside Gemini 10 for station keeping. He kept Gemini 10 about 3 meters away from Agena 8 at all times. Like Cernan during Gemini 9, Collins found that every task during an EVA took far longer than planned. Collins had to make two attempts before he picked up the micrometeorite package. The first time he floated over to Agena 8, he couldn't get a grip on Agena 8's smooth surface. He ended up floating away freely into space. He was never in any real danger though, as he remained tethered to Gemini 10. For the second attempt to reach the package, Collins decided to use the zip gun similar to the zip gun that was used during Gemini 4 to help James McDivitt maneuver during his EVA. Collins managed to get himself back to the Agena 8, and this time he managed to pick up the package. He was supposed to replace it with a different experiment, but fearing he might lose the current package, he decided to head back to Gemini 10 instead by pulling on the tether. Collins then handed the package over to Young for safekeeping. The next objective for the EVA was to fully test the zip gun. To do this, Collins extended his tether to Gemini 10 to its maximum length of 15 meters. This would allow him to float freely. Up to now, he had only released about 6 meters of the tether to avoid having it get in the way during the package retrieval mission. Collins planned to use the zip gun to maneuver around Gemini 10 and Agena 8. Before Collins could start testing the zip gun, however, Mission Control told Young that they were running out of fuel. They could no longer afford to continue station keeping near Agena 8. So Collins had to cancel the zip gun test and get back inside Gemini 10 so they could leave. After Collins got back inside Gemini 10, the two astronauts now had to deal with a 15 meter long tether just floating around the cabin. The tether became so obstructive that, after about an hour, they decided to open the hatch again and throw the tether out. This is one of the first examples of littering in space. 
With Double Rendezvous and the EVA now completed, the main mission objectives of Gemini 10 were over. There was another photography experiment, resting and more experiments, but on the third day, about 70 hours after launch, Gemini 10 fired its retro rockets to come home. Young and Collins landed just a little over five and a half kilometers short of their intended splashdown site in the Atlantic Ocean. Gemini 10 can be considered the mission in which the Gemini program achieved full maturity. Multiple rendezvous had been demonstrated for the Apollo program. The first manned high orbit flight had been achieved to learn about radiation exposure at higher orbits. And NASA learned more about how to prepare for EVAs, including the necessity to allow more time for tasks and to include more handholds and footholds to help the astronauts. Now that the Agena had been proven for use in manned Gemini missions, NASA was ready to take a crack at missions in higher altitude with far more complexity. More about that next time on Gemini 11.